Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, uh, when you grow up as the son of a traveling evangelist, which means that we had a fifth wheel trailer and we roamed all over the United States, kind of centering primarily in the Midwest and did this until I was in sixth grade. And we were at a different church from Sunday morning to Friday night every week. And this was in the Baptist world and it was revival meetings. Uh, you ate in a lot of people's homes. And those meals were, how can I put it? They were not part of the, the clean food movement. Um, but they were good. And so we would have fried chicken and we would have mounds of meatloaf and we would have mashed potatoes and sweet cream corn and we would have, um, you know, the healthy thing, the green beans that had simmered in bacon for an hour or two and uh, biscuits, marvelous biscuits. And so we would have all this food and we would be sitting there and I remember as a kid, um, <clears throat> Usually it was the mom of the house, and she would come, and she would start to take the plates away. And then sometimes she would say these magical words, save your fork. <laughs> and I knew what that meant. It was a promise. The promise was that this meal was far from done. That the crowning moment, probably a big banana pie or an apple, I mean, a banana uh, pudding or an apple pie was, was on its way out there, maybe a big chocolate cake. And we would save our forks, and then uh, the hope would be realized. We sometimes think of Jesus' resurrection as a story about one man pulling off a mind-bending miracle to prove that he's God, maybe performing some other kind of wild and crazy God stuff that we're a little bit fuzzy on, but that that's kind of the story. That's where it ends. In the resurrection, though, Jesus was doing something far grander than that. Jesus was enacting the first decisive moment in a new story. The promise of the resurrection is that God did for Jesus what God intends to do for the whole world. In Corinthians, Paul called the resurrection the first fruits. It's that first harvest of many more harvests to come. You remember in the resurrection story that we read last week how Jesus wasn't merely, according to the gospel writer, alive and breathing. But Jesus was on the move. And you remember the disciples were going to have to catch up. Go tell the disciples, the angel said, that Jesus isn't dead anymore. And he's on his way to Galilee. Get in gear. Resurrection is breaking loose. You're going to have to catch up. This morning, Peter put it this way. In his great mercy... God the Father has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never 
perish, spoil, or fade. Now, when you have a new birth, that's the start of a story. The new birth, it's, it's amazing, it's monumental, it's profound, but it's, it's just the beginning. I remember holding a two sons. I remember holding them in my arms, and I remember being overwhelmed by that. I remember sitting in the, in the hospital room that evening, and I remember thinking about their life and thinking about what in the world I was supposed to do as their father, about thinking about all the possibilities down the road, about all that was going to come, about all that could happen. God, the father, in an image like God who, as a mother, carries us into a new birth, a new life, a new possibility. Our hope in Jesus in the resurrection isn't just a memory of something that God has done long ago in a garden tomb. Like when you pull out those old photographs, have you ever seen the ones of like four or five generations ago and they're kind of fuzzy and they're kind of hazy, but you know they represent something really good and so you should hold on to them and you know that you should care about them. Sometimes we think of that's kind of what the resurrection is and the story of Jesus. But Peter tells us it's something really different. It's not just an ancient hope. It's a living hope. Our hope is living and vibrant. It pulses in every corner of our world now. It radiates in every part of our life now. Resurrection is not just the assurance that Jesus lives, but rather the assurance that in Jesus, all of us can live. That the broken world and the broken hearts and the broken promises will be healed. Resurrection is the source of our living, active, penetrating, tenacious hope. Resurrection is, in a way, God saying, Save your fork. <laughs> There's more coming. This is just the beginning. And this living hope is relentless. It's not wishful thinking. It's not fantasy. It's not like the intentions of a good friend who really means well, but just doesn't have the resources or the wherewithal or just the follow through to make something happen. The living, active hope ignited in Jesus' resurrection cannot be undone. It cannot be overwhelmed. It can never perish. It can never spoil. It can never fade. It can never be diverted. You can take it to the bank. What God did for Jesus, God is going to do for the world. What God did for Jesus, God will do for you. This is a living hope. It is a hope that always lives. It is a hope that will not die. And Peter tells us that God's promise, this living hope, is kept secure in heaven until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's hear that again. God's promise, this living hope, is kept secure in heaven until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
Now, to understand Peter, we have to reorient ourselves to some biblical language. A lot of us, when we think and hear the word heaven, we think of it primarily as a place. But in the fullness of the biblical witness, heaven is more a realm. Oftentimes, we think of heaven as a destination, as it's our ending place. But heaven is the realm where God's good and just reign exists in perfection and joy now. And heaven is the place from which God's justice, perfection, and goodness is even now coming to the earth and one day will come in final completion. And then heaven and earth will be joined into a new world that is the new kind of world God had in mind from the beginning, the new kind of world that God enacted in the resurrection. One day, all of the injustice will be undone. One day, all of our violence and destruction will be healed. One day, all of our sadness and isolation and distance and fear and self-loathing, one day, all of it will be transformed. All of it will be made new. And we live now as the people who believe that God's hope for the world will come true. Not because we have fantastic faith, but because Jesus rose from the dead. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he stomped on everything that is death. And so now we have a picture of what the world is to be like. We don't we don't see it perfectly. In fact, Paul says we see it like through a glass. It's, it's murky. But we have a picture, and that picture was given for us at the resurrection. Last, uh, well, almost 11 months ago, our family sold our home on Brookwood Drive, and we bought an old cottage on Warren Lane. And it was this beautiful little college cottage built in 1937 that needs and especially needed a whole lot of work. And I'm not a fix-it guy. I had no idea what I was getting into. But this place has gardens and old trees, and it has a neighborhood that really felt like a neighborhood, which our little part of our street never quite did. And so we, we grabbed this house through what seems like a miraculous turn of events, and we had in our mind this picture of how it could be transformed. And when we sold our house, you know, we got a certain amount of equity and we worked our budget. We had this amount of work we could do. And it had old cedar shake siding that needed to be replaced because it was rotted out. And it needed painting and it needed new gutters. And we needed a new kitchen floor. And the kitchen cabinets had been raked over by a cat, apparently. And it needed <laughs> new doors. And we had in our mind this picture of what it could be. And 11 months later, it's slowly coming into existence. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done, but it's, it's slowly happening. And in the resurrection, God gives us a picture, a picture of what's coming, a picture of God's intentions, and it's happening. But there was a little other piece to this reading, and you probably heard it. Peter knows that 
there's a promise and it's a living hope and it's happening, but that there's a world of pain between here and there. Now for a little while, Peter says, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Our hope is a living hope, but it's a suffering hope too. Because we live in this time where resurrection hasn't yet claimed everything back from death. A number of us are very aware that there is death around us. And anyone who tells us that faith gives us a pass to avoid the struggle is just loading up the BS because it isn't true. In fact, in Jesus' cross, what we find is that faith actually carries us right into the middle of the struggle. Our life is not an evacuation, it's a healing. And those are very different things. Healing comes into the brokenness. Healing takes on the brokenness. Healing sits with the brokenness. Jesus descended into death. He didn't whistle his way around it. And for many of us, the pain tempts us to give up our hope, to walk away from God. It may be the pain in us. It may be the pain we encounter around us. Peter doesn't pull any punches. He tells us it's going to happen. There's going to be pain. The whole of Scripture tells us that experiencing ruin and evil are part of what it means to live in a world writhing in pain. And this is precisely why we need a resurrection. Because we're drowning in death. And so we hear God's promises that because Jesus rose from the dead, we have a living hope, a hope that will not die. And yet we still suffer. We will ache for God's salvation. And this word salvation is so expansive. It's not just about escaping. It is about being healed in the middle of the ruin. And the risen Jesus through the spirit alive and with us will sustain us. And so we do what we're doing today. We gather and we worship and we tell one another the story that is true. And we hear the scriptures proclaim to us what is true and give us the picture again. And we come to God's table and we receive the healing again. And it pulls us into the story, the long story of the healing that's coming. As Peter says, even when we can't see Jesus, we love him. And even though we do not see him now, we believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For even now we are receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Even now you are receiving the salvation of your soul. Even now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is working its way into your heart and your mind and telling you a different story. And I kept thinking about this closing verse, and I kept wanting to have something really potent to say about it, and I don't. But I think there's something really potent here for us, so I'm just going to read it again. 
even when we can't see Jesus, we love him. And even though we do not see him now, we believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For even now, we are receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. So I know that some of you just really can't see Jesus right now. But you can love him. You can love him. Because in our love of the Jesus we can't see, we're responding, we're just responding to the love that has been announced and enacted at the cross and resurrection. And it's true. And it's here. And you can love this Jesus. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.